good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, August 6th, 2022. It's been another great week of shows with great topics and great contributors. We kicked off the week with some tips to find that new car and a new car deal. Let's take a look. Right now, the average price of new vehicles is getting a lot of headlines. You're reading about $48,000. And indeed, you know, in July, I'm sorry, in June, we had, according to Kelly Blue Book data, a record high average uh, new vehicle price. But the thing to remember about averages is that, you know, nobody really pays average. There's not a lot of vehicles above that and a lot below. And one of the reasons the average is getting pushed up, in addition to the fact that supply and demand um, dynamics are involved. One issue is that a lot of luxury cars are selling. The luxury side of the business is doing quite well right now. The uh, larger percent of new vehicles sold each month are from luxury brands like Mercedes, BMW, Tesla, uh, Lincoln and Cadillac, you name it. And those vehicles are doing well. So as more expensive vehicles sell, certainly that's pushing higher this average price. So but if you think about it, there's a lot of vehicles that are well below the average. You know, you look at a segment like the uh, compact SUV, vehicles like the Toyota RAV4, Ford Escape, those products, those sell typically 30% below average price. So, you know, just because the average is 48 doesn't mean you're going to spend 48 on a new car. It just means that on average, they're getting more expensive. Yeah, well, our, our editors at Kelly Blue Book and Auto Trader are talking about this a lot right now. And the real, the real trick is to take your time and pack your patience because you're going to have to do a lot of searching around. Be ready to be flexible. Be ready to move fast as well. But when I say flexible, it's important to think, don't get wed to a single product. I must have this car in blue with a black interior. Just, it's going to be difficult to find. However, you know, chances are with some flexibility and a willingness to shop around a lot, you can probably do okay. Also recognize though, incentives are at a historic low. Average vehicles are, are selling for more than MSRP. So, you know, the deal that might've been very obtainable in 2019 just is not, the dynamics of the market today just don't support that. It's, it's more expensive to buy a new car right now, but there are certainly great products out there. And with some searching and with some patience, you can score a new car and I think you'd be really happy with it. And the used car business is fascinating. And, you know, one of the Cox Automotive businesses is Mannheim, which is the biggest wholesale auction house for used vehicles. So we touch a lot of used vehicles. We see a lot of used vehicles. And thing to remember that a typical new car uh, sales year is in the neighborhood of, say, 15 million. We're a little less now. We've been in more in the past where retail used cars are often over 20 million. So more used cars are sold every year than new cars. Um, there's a lot of vehicles that are sold that are in the neighborhood of three to four years old, maybe four to five. Those are very good deals. Coming off warranty, you know, maybe off a lease. There's a lot of those vehicles out there. Interestingly, if you think about the used car business, it's influenced by the new car business eight to 10 years ago. And we were coming off a great recession a decade ago and sales volumes were quite low. So actually older, very affordable used cars are difficult to find right now. There weren't as many built in 2010, 11 and 12 when the, the US economy was recovering from the great recession. 
with fewer new cars sold 10 years ago, that means fewer used cars available right now. So, you know, the very old cars are, are tougher to find. And to your point, absolutely, vehicles are staying on the road longer. They're, you know, better built, the technology is better, better quality. There's a lot of reasons. Again, I would be looking in the neighborhood of four to five years old. Those are very good products. And I'll say, unlike the new market, the used vehicle market is starting to improve. You're seeing inventory levels back to what we would consider normal, looking at 2019, 2020. Um, and prices have not, have, have, I guess we'll say, they've stopped growing. They are elevated as well, but they're not increasing like we have seen in the past year or so. So there's some stability. Our other day, our chief economist said, the used vehicle market is feeling pretty normal, and that felt pretty good. Next up, we discussed how you can enjoy the best day of your vacation. Let's take a look. So what Amphitrite uh, started with was a concept that digital technology uh, really has not been embraced by the tour activity operator industry. It's been embraced by the online travel agency industry, TripAdvisor, Viada, Expedia, et cetera, et cetera. But the individuals that actually own companies that offer tours, excursions, et cetera, et cetera, tend to be smaller companies with less resources and less tech savvy. So Amphitrite Digital, uh, we were formed to bring the best of digital technology down to you know, where the rubber meets the road, the actual tour activity operators, to allow them to uh, increase their revenue uh, as well as decrease uh, their overall operating expense. So, uh, and those are the great uh, questions in the States or abroad. Uh, U.S. De destination uh, tourism is doing phenomenal. Uh, it actually did phenomenal last year in 2021, uh, and it's doing phenomenal this year in 2022. Uh, so as we know, you know, because of the COVID pandemic, uh, a lot of individuals could not travel over abroad because of various restrictions. And then even when restrictions started lifting, a lot of individuals still aren't comfortable uh, traveling uh, abroad. Uh, so the benefit to the U.S. tourism business is that, you know, in-country, in the United States, tourism has been doing very well. So individuals in Chicago, you know, that might uh, travel to Europe, okay, for destinations, you know, they're not going to Europe right now. Instead, you know, what they're doing is they're traveling within the United States. Uh, they're traveling within the U.S. territories like the United States Virgin Islands. Uh, they're also, as we know, there's been a boom in boat sales. There's been a boom in RV sales, uh, allowing people to explore the beauties of our own country. So internationally, uh, tourism is doing okay, but it's really a different dynamic in closing. It's really the individuals within country exploring their country as opposed to crossing borders, which is still down. So I think it's a, a couple of different ways. So first and foremost is the ability of the tour activity operator to reinvest in their 
company uh, to provide a better customer experience. So while uh, we partner with, uh, you know, the booking.com, Travelocity, uh, TripAdvisor, all of those OTAs, online travel agencies, the difficulty is they take anywhere from 25% to 35% of the revenue when someone books through one of their online platforms. So for every dollar that is booked through the platform, the actual tour activity operator uh, may only get 70 cents on the dollar. So it constrains the operating margin for the tour activity operator, preventing them from uh, reinvesting in their own company, whether it be new equipment, new snorkel mask, you know, always having, uh, you know, the, the, the newest, the best uh, equipment to offer the tour, allow them to do value adds on the tour, you know, such as uh, drinks included, fuel included, uh, equipment included. Uh, so by uh, them embracing digital technology and being able to get reservations directly themselves, as opposed to relying 100% on the OTAs, gives them uh, more dollars uh, to invest in their own company. Um, so that's number one. And then I would say the second is, is the actual consumer. So by embracing digital technology, the consumer has a lot more uh, leeway in what type of excursions and tours they can take. Uh, so when they go uh, onto a website like uh, seize the day usbi.com or tallshipwindy.com, uh, they can see high quality pictures, high quality videos. Uh, they can get you know real time um, directions to the site. Uh, they can get after the tour uh, a lot of customer service, such as being able to print out their pictures uh, of the tour, uh, instantly being linked to social media so they can show their, uh, their friends and their family uh, you know, how much they enjoyed that tour. So it provides a better customer a guest experience. You know, the what we've seen since we've built out our digital platform, integrating some of the best travel technology out there, is that our tour activity operators can decrease um, their uh, cost of advertising uh, while simultaneously increasing their actual revenue. So they're getting a better re uh, return on advertising spend. You know, in our industry, the return on marketing or the return on advertising uh, is around 30%. Uh, and that's because the main uh, uh, methodology of getting bookings is through the, the aggregators, these online travel agencies. Uh, on our digital platform, our tour activity operators, the, uh, the average cost is less than 10%. And they can also dial it up at any time uh, based on the utilization or the availability of their tours. So instead of paying 30 cents on the dollar uh, to gain $1 of revenue, they're only spending 10 cents on the dollar for that $1 of revenue. So that really is, the, is the, uh, one of the core advantages. Well, we're halfway through. When we come back, we'll take a look at the other half of our best segments for the week. You're gonna wanna stay tuned right here. BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future.
This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credits or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. The Federal Reserve recently hiked interest rates What's the impact to credit card holders? Let's take a look. So, well, I think the part that we all should pay in, uh, special interest here or attention here, sorry, to is lower income consumers. The second they start defaulting on their rates, that's when we know that we are in a big problem because, um, you know, their sort of interest rates or the APR is more likely higher than the average one. So right now we are about we are at about 17.35%. That's an average. Expect that for a lower income consumer with a not so great credit profile to have a higher than 17.35%. So when they start defaulting, uh, that's when we know that we are in trouble and we can sort of expect a higher wave of defaults going from there. Um, good part to remember in recent sort of earnings with JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, they had sort of pointed to uh, you know, the lower income consumers, but again, the default rate stands very low. And with JP Morgan, one good thing to remember, they are mostly a credit card, sort of their credit cards are more um, in, sort of in their credit cards is it more for the wealthy consumer, if I can say that, um, but or rather for the consumer, which can sort of in, in one way afford it. Because um, if you go to see with Chase, the Sapphire preferred, um, the last I checked had a $95 annual maintenance fee. So that's that's one way to see it as, okay, when these guys point out the lower consumer, they don't have so much of an exposure to a lower income consumer. But you know, even them saying that, let's pay attention, the default rates are sticking up, but just by a slight amount, it's something that we should pay attention to. Let me give you a very sort of eye-popping number here that my source told me. Um, given the 
current sort of over 17% um, interest rate on credit cards on average, if you go ahead and take a $5,000 balance and you only pay your minimum payments, nothing more, you would need 187 months. That's, I think, from my calculation, about 15 years to pay it off. And that on that 5,000 balance, you have 5,872 interest. So that's like more than the balance is what you've paid in interest in all this yeah. time. That's if you go ahead and pay the minimum balance. And that's to your point of how paying minimum balance can sort of hurt you. Um, and it's just not enough. Um, so, of course, paying your balance in full is great. Another option here is the 0% balance transfer card. There are a lot of companies out there that are offering, you know, for you to transfer your balance from one card to another at a 0% fee. But again, the caveat here with that is that you shouldn't constantly keep on doing that because you'll then just be in a loop of where you're just constantly transferring um, your balance to 0% fee all the time and never really paying it off. I think I'm going to double down on your point around how easy it is to get credit. Um, you can just walk in and get a credit card. And even if you make the amount of payments in the next few months, your sort of your credit limit will increase. It's again, because it's not very difficult to get a credit card, it's not very difficult to be in debt. And that's, um, if I have to go really macro on this, I want to say that's that's something that's very um, US specific. When you look at developing countries, the idea of being on debt is not is not so common. Um, and just to sort of take a step back here, if you go to India, the idea of credit cards aren't so common. Um, and that's partly because, you know, credit is not so easily available. So it's both, it, it's a double-sided sword here. Being, credit being easily available is a good thing for the economy, right? Like people are able to spend then. But again, you get debt. People that probably can't pay are, but are constantly sort of spending their money. Um, do we do a good job of educating our consumers or people about paying off the debt? Well, I think we're trying to do it because there are sort of, you know, when you do get your statement, you will see sort of the remarks as to, okay, this is what has happened to your credit score. Um, this is what you can do, da, da, da. and there are sort of ways uh, that one can learn more about it. But at the same time, just the whole idea about how easily the credit is available, you sort of get swamped in it. There are new credit card companies coming, you know, now and then that sort of offer you different ways to sort of get onto their plan and in a way pay off your credit card. But that again is it's in a way. Um, putting you more under that because if you go to see if there are credit cards out there, they'll offer you a chance to sort of get on their line and they will sort of combine all your credit cards. Uh, so if I have a Chase, if I have a Wells Fargo, if I have an American Express, um, there's a company out there that'll take all of that, put it under one line and will pay off with sort of pay off minimum payments. But again, you, you got to see what's the sort of uh, black and white story here, what's there in the fine print. Um, so it's important to see those things. Uh, while, you know, because credit is available so easily, don't just go ahead and take the next credit card that offers you a $200 reward. Um, I'm embarrassed to admit, but that's something that I, I did earlier. I was like, okay, this is giving me $200. I need that specific dress. It'll be helpful to get the free $200. Um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you're just sort of, you just have more things to keep track of. And just given... Um, you know, how busy we can get, it can get difficult to sort of keep track of five credit cards with different minimum payment due dates. And finally, spending actually declines in retirement. Let's take a look. Most people are told that they should, for instance, use the 4% rule and adjust uh, how much they take uh, adjusted for inflation. Uh, and the assumption is that your spending will increase over the course of retirement. 
And what the re researchers at the Rand Corporation have discovered is that, and others too, by the way, JP Morgan, David Blanchett, is that spending actually declines in retirement over the course of, we'll call it your three phases of retirement, like the go-go years, the slow-go and the no-go years. And uh, what they're uh, essentially saying is uh, you might spend a little bit more in the first phase of retirement. Uh, maybe you travel a little bit more. Uh, maybe you uh, spend more time with the grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. But as you go through the second and third phases, your spending will start to decline appreciably. And uh, and in some of the cases, what will happen by the third phase in the no-go phase, yeah. the expenses that you might have used on entertainment and travel in the first phase might be replaced by healthcare, but potentially not so much that it's an, a dramatic increase in your spending. And so what the folks that I spoke to Michael uh, heard at the Rand Corporation, and in essence, what he said was, maybe you should plan on spending increasing maybe 1% per year over the course of your retirement. And, and, and what that means, perhaps, and this is sort of like, for me, one of the aha moments was, it might mean that you're saving more than you need to. And that's, uh, and, and that's a hard one, right? Because the last thing anyone would want to do is to save less and then get to retirement and learn that you didn't have quite enough to fund 30 plus years of retirement. So it's a really interesting thing. Um, to sort of say, well, okay, I, I buy the fact that spending will decline, but saving less is a little bit harder for me because I don't know how much less to save in order to fund you know, that my desired standard of living. One of the things that I like to think about when I think about market volatility is to remove it from the spending or income equation. So for instance, I, I'm fond of, for instance, the bucket approach uh, in retirement planning, where you would take maybe one to five years of spending and put it in a safe instrument, and maybe the next six to 10 years in a different bucket of maybe stocks and bonds, and then a third bucket, 10 plus years and beyond, and uh, maybe in more risky assets, the stock market, et cetera. And, uh, and if what you do is have five years of income that is protected um, from market volatility, you don't have to worry about the, the daily ups and downs of the market. And as each year goes by, you'll replenish that bucket number one with money from bucket two and bucket three will go into bucket two. And so I like to think that you know for retirees who want to avoid the stress of worrying about what their portfolio is doing is to consider a, a, either a bucket approach or sometimes people call it a floor and an upside approach where what you're doing is creating uh, lifetime guaranteed sources of income, be it social security, a pension, an annuity or, or, or other things um, to, to sort of provide the desired standard of living, whatever that might be for you, could be essential only or could be essential and discretionary um, uh, or, uh, or some other der derivation of that. And that way, if you have a floor in place, again, you don't have to worry about what's going on in the market. So I, I sort of like to, I, I personally would say to retirees, um, maybe don't consider using the SWIP approach to generating income re in retirement, because what that does is it means that then you're going to be you know, subject to sequence of return risk or market volatility. And the last thing you want to do is put your desired standard of living at risk, at least from my perspective. So I think two things. First of all, uh, I think we need to put that number in perspective. It's not as if you need $300,000 set aside at age 65 to you know, to pay, to pay for the next 20 years of healthcare costs. Most people pay for healthcare costs, one through their social security, right? Part of their part, their part B premium gets paid through there. Um, and, and then secondly, most people pay out of cash flow, 
right? They're either from the earnings that they have while they're working part-time in retirement or from their portfolios or uh, or from other places. It's not like they have a pool of money sitting in there specifically for healthcare expenses. The other is I would, I would urge people to look at other studies that look at healthcare costs in retirement. Two in particular, there was a series of studies done by Sudupto Banerjee at T. Rowe Price, three studies in fact, where he broke down what the annual cost is and what you can expect to pay for normal and ordinary expenses like, like healthcare premiums, and then what you might pay for out-of-pockets and deductibles and co-pays and that sort of thing. And when you look at, break it down by a year-by-year -year expense, um, it becomes much more manageable. And so I would urge people to read that study um, from T. Rowe Price. And also there's a study from uh, Vanguard that they did with Mercer. And they came to the very same conclusion. The costs of healthcare are going to be for most people, right, manageable. There will be a certain segment for people for whom it will be less than manageable. You don't know if you're going to be in that, you know, that, that, that demographic or not. So that, I think that's the hard part about planning for healthcare costs is, you know, 95% of the time you can plan for it. And then there's a 5% chance that you won't have enough money to pay for extraordinary healthcare shocks. Um, the other thing to think about too is healthcare expenses in retirement. When you first retire, they represent about 5% of your budget of your expenditures. And then by the time you get to be the into the no-go years, it tends to represent about 15% of your budget. So, you know, maybe as you're planning for healthcare costs in retirement, think about those percentages, see how they equate to you. Obviously, the sicker you are, the more likely um, you will have higher healthcare costs, um, and uh, and it, and the less you know, the more healthy you are, the the greater the likelihood is that you'll have um, you know maybe less healthcare costs, but longer healthcare costs over the lifetime because you're, you're going to be living longer. Yeah. which is which is a study that Boston College noted. Well, certainly great shows. I want to thank all of our wonderful contributors this week. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, somebody that we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news in lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website. That's www.broadcastretirementnetwork.com. And, of course, our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by members of the media, academia, and financial services as we analyze all the news and top topics for the week. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.